0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. I remember the moment that my wife Heather and I learned that we were expecting our first child. It was uh, early 2007 and uh, we, Heather had just taken the test. It was positive and I sat down I remember, yeah, Like I sat down on the edge of the bed, and I said nothing for a while. Um, just had a hundred questions were going through my mind. To be clear, it was a good feeling. Like, I, it, what I sometimes tell people is that learning that we were pregnant was, was like learning we had just won the lottery, you know? Like, you, you know that it's going to change your life in a, a thousand good ways. You just don't know what those are. Well, I remember shortly after that going with Heather to the first ultrasound appointment and on the imaging screen, we saw this like tiny little tadpole with this massive giant beating heart in the middle. And I just instantly fell in love. You know, I I knew this was was a good thing for our lives. At the same time, I knew that all the plans that I had for us were out the window, like the vision that I had for what our journey was gonna look like over the next few years, that was gone. To be clear, we we weren't ready to be parents. I actually don't know if you ever feel ready to be parents. It's a a test, okay? It's a test. As adults, we expect life to test us in all kinds of ways like this. By the time we're grownups, we actually have lots of practice Being tested. We have lots of practice not getting our way, and we've learned how to handle it. We know that we live in a world where God reserves the right to interrupt our plans. God has the right to change our plans. That doesn't mean it's easy, okay? But the question is when we're tested, not if, but when we are tested, are we strong enough to follow God's plan or will we insist on our own? Will we follow God's plan or will we complain and insist on getting our own way? Well, this is our second week in our Advent series called Visitations. Uh, Last week when we were together, we saw how Mary's life changed after her visit with an angel. She accepted God's will and she went from being this sweet, invisible girl living in a dangerous place to becoming uh, a woman with a voice, a dangerous woman. Now today we're going to consider... Mary's other half. And so, once upon a time, there was a young man named Joseph. He was a hard-working builder. And Nazareth isn't a place with a lot of trees. Joseph would have built with a little bit of wood, but mostly rocks. He's muscular, he's strong, he's this sweaty, ripped, traditional man with dirt in his beard, calluses, on his hands, he might even have one of those, you know, black thumbnails from an accident with a hammer. Some of you might have seen that. That might have happened to some of you. Uh, he might be missing the end of a finger because of an accident with a saw. Well, Joseph came by it honestly. He was taught how to build by his dad, and his dad's name was either Eli or Yaakov, depending on whether we read Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel. We'll leave that for today. And so he he inherited the trade from his dad, and and just as he inherited his trade from his father, someday Yosef was going to pass on the builder trade to his own son. That's the plan. That's the vision Yosef has for his life, to have a nice family, to have some children, to pass on his trade to his sons. And so Yosef is kind of a catch okay he's kind of a strong traditional manly man he can take care of himself and his job is secure actually it's, it's it's not like one of these it's not a trade that is weather dependent like being a farmer for example it's also not as dangerous uh as being a soldier and he's not you know away from home uh, most of the year he's close to home works hard and he's strong and reliable and so for parents who want a match for their daughter Joseph is a great choice. He's a really good match. And the lucky girl, as we know from verse 18, is Miriam. In verse 18, we read that Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Okay, this is Miriam of Nazareth. And she, at this point, she is pledged to be married to Joseph. They're not married, but she's pledged to be. Now, there's a lot of legends that have developed about Joseph over the years, uh, especially among Roman Catholics. One legend is that Mary had a bunch of guys proposed to her all at the same time. So as the story goes, all these guys are, are in the house proposing marriage and asking Miriam's parents to accept their proposal. And they are so overwhelmed by these proposals that they ask all these gentlemen to present their walking sticks. Like, hand over your walking stick. And as they do, one of them, one of these men, his walking stick sprouts lilies. And that's how Miriam's parents knew that Yosef was the guy for their daughter, Miriam. So that's why in a lot of art, we see Yosef holding a stick that has lilies sprouted at the top. So another legend says that by the time that we meet Joseph, he's already a very old man and a widower, uh, having lost his first wife. She got sick and and died, and le- and left Joseph with these kids. Uh, and according to this legend, Mary is his second wife, and that's why a lot of art shows him as much older than Miriam. Now, if this were true, it would certainly explain why. Roman Catholics believe that Mary remained a virgin her whole life, even though Jesus clearly has siblings in Scripture. But all the evidence from Scripture is actually that this is a very traditional marriage. It's a very traditional, you know, family. In fact, this passage and and others actually suggests that Miriam and Joseph eventually do come together and sleep together and consummate the marriage and will end up filling the house with children. Now, it's also helpful to understand there's quite a process involved in getting married in these days. Okay, the the process begins when the couple's very young, and there's a pledge that happens. It happens when the, the parents arrange the marriage and a pledge is made. His family offers a bride price, which is an amount of money or or gifts that shows that he is serious. And in exchange, her family promises they're going to come up with a dowry, which might, you know, include some maybe some oil lamps or a, a cart or maybe some animals or and these are things that they would that they would bring to the wedding with the daughter, and once he pays the bride price and once she accepts, they are betrothed. They're engaged. She and he are pledged to be married, and that's a covenant. Okay, that's that's a that's a that stage uh, of being betrothed lasts about a year, and it's different from our culture cuz like in our culture when a couple breaks off an engagement that which actually is not rare it happens all, all the time uh and for all kinds of reasons and when that happens the 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 woman will give back the ring and uh they'll go about their lives traditionally it's actually not that big a deal but in Jewish culture in in the days of Joseph and Miriam if you broke off your betrothal that was equal to a divorce okay that was, like being, that was like a divorce, and you, you lose a lot of money. And if she cheats on him, if that's the reason that they're breaking off the, the betrothal, because she cheated on him, he gets to keep the dowry. And if they're breaking off the betrothal because he cheated on her, she gets to keep the bride price. Now let's come back to Yosef's story. Because one day, Yosef learns something that is just scandalous. Verse 18, Matthew tells us that before they came together, so at the point in which they're pledged to be married, before they came together, like before the wedding, she was found to be pregnant. Okay? She was found to be pregnant, and Matthew tells us through the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph doesn't know who the Father is. He doesn't understand this Holy Spirit thing, what that even means. and All he knows is the Father is not him, and he's done nothing wrong, He honored Miriam. He's done everything right. He followed all the rules. So try to understand what a shameful situation this is. What a sort of emasculating situation this is for Yosef. Now, Nazareth is a small town. Not only are the people in town going to gossip about Miriam, but they're also going to wonder what's wrong with Yosef that he's not worth waiting for. Like, what's his problem? Who, Who is this secret lover that's a better man than Yosef? Who's a stronger, better-looking, more eligible man than Yosef? And what's he going to do now? Is Yosef going to fight for Miriam? Is he going to leave town and try to start over somewhere else? Suppose Yosef marries her after all. Well, if he does, this kid grows up in his house, eats his food, and he's somebody else's son. He's not even going to look like Joseph. Every time that he sees this kid, every time that anybody looks at this kid, it's going to be a reminder that Joseph wasn't the man that everybody thought he was. He wasn't worth waiting for. And so what we need to understand is that as Joseph's story begins, from the perspective of that culture at least, Joseph has been totally emasculated, totally embarrassed and humiliated. Well, he's got a few options, one option is that Joseph can sue for a divorce, he can, okay, accuse her before a judge, and they're going to check and see if she's a virgin or not, and if it turns out that they can prove that she's been unfaithful, then Joseph gets his bride price back, and Miriam may even be stoned for adultery, because that's what is called for in the Jewish law. And if he goes this route, at least there is some sense of, of justice and vindication, okay, I, I know lots of guys who would choose this. This this feels like a win. This option feels like the manly thing to do to have your manhood uh, restored and reclaimed. But notice, that's not what Joseph does. In verse nineteen, we're told that because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph doesn't want to involve the courts. Joseph would prefer to have the marriage be cancelled quietly and privately. He would rather lose his bride price. He would rather forfeit her dowry. This is really costly for him. Okay, Joseph is going to get peace in the long term, but he's going to lose a lot in the short term. And notice that this is the choice that Joseph makes before he's visited by the angel. Before the angel. In other words, before Joseph knows the truth, before he knows what's going on and who this child will be, he has already chosen to put Miriam's needs before his own. That's really interesting. Wouldn't you agree? That's the kind of man that we're talking about in Joseph. Well, then one day, verse 20, we're told that after he had considered this, like after Joseph had made this decision to divorce her quietly, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Hear that? Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now I want to pause here a minute because who said anything about fear? Who said he's afraid? Nobody said anything about being afraid. It, you know, angry? Maybe. We could, we could appreciate that. We could un- understand if Joseph is jealous. We can believe that. We can believe that maybe Joseph wants to defend his honor, but we wouldn't have guessed that he's afraid. Like the, That just doesn't seem to fit, does it? Well, maybe it does. Perhaps the angel understands something that we don't, which is that it's fear. You know often when the culture argues over things like rights and, and justice and traditions, it's really just fear it's a fear of shame it's a fear of change it's a fear of embarrassment it's a fear of looking weak. you know a lot of the time when you see some kind of traditionally manly man who's taking a stand or who's refusing to back down or who's standing up for the truth or you you know the rhetoric. Underneath all of that, there's really this scared little boy who's making himself sound tough in order to hide how scared he really is, don't you think? And so the angel says, "Don't be afraid he says, like do not be afraid to take her home as your, as your wife. Do not let fear guide your next steps. Don't base your choices in this situation on fear. It would be a great mistake. To make your decisions based on fear. The angel explains from here what's really going on. This is where Joseph gets the full explanation. The angel tells him, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Yeshua, or Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And that's where Matthew adds this really important footnote. In verse 22, Matthew tells us that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here he quotes the prophet Isaiah. uh, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there you have it. So let's back up a second and just kind of assess where we're at. It's like, here it is, Yosef. Uh, is your fiancé pregnant? Yes, she is. Uh, is the baby yours? Nope, definitely not his. Did she cheat on you? Nope, she didn't cheat on him either. Okay, uh, actually, uh, she's still a virgin. Uh, it gets more interesting. You see, this baby is actually the Messiah, and he's going to save his people from their sins. And And Joseph, you're going to be his stepdad. That's what God is asking you to do. Are you in? Well, that's the situation Joseph finds himself and we know what he chooses, because in verse 24, we read that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In fact, Matthew gives us this extra little detail when he says in verse 25 that Joseph did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now this this is all really important because it shows us the kind of man that Yosef was. They get married, okay? They have their wedding, and after the wedding, they are legally married. They have every right to consummate the marriage and go to bed together, and they don't. Okay? They will go. They will sleep together, but not until after the child is born. Do you see that there in the text? In fact, this is a a, a pattern for Yosef. He doesn't take advantage of all of his rights and privileges, right? He he has the right to divorce Miriam if he, if he wants to. He, he doesn't. He has the right to get his money back. He doesn't. He has the right to try again with another bride somewhere else. He does not. So let's reflect on this uh, a minute. You know, I, I have a theory about men and women. It's something that I've been working on for a long time, and, and it's something I may even write a book about. I, I'm. I may be wrong, but I don't think that I am. Um, I think men and women are the same in all kinds of ways, including the fact that both are tested. Both are tested. That's that's one of the ways that we're the same. But one of the important ways that men and women are different is how we are tested. From what I can tell, in general, womanhood is one unending relentless lifelong test of strength and character like it seems to me a woman just needs to be on all the time and there are there are no breaks from the womanhood test it seems to me the manhood test is different like both tests are hard but in general manhood is tested at just a few kind of massively tough key moments and milestones in a man's life. So while women experience these milestones, but are tested at the milestones and even in between the milestones, a man is tested by how he performs when he f- comes up against one of those milestones. You understand what I'm trying to say here? So, for some examples of that test for a man might be finding a spouse, finding good work, starting a home, leaving your parents, starting a family. And the arrival of Jesus is one of those moments for Joseph when he is tested. So here's where he's going to prove to everybody what kind of man he is. What kind of man he is. Like, is he he fearful or faithful? Is he more controlled by fear or by faith? Well, he passes that test. He, he He marries Miriam. Even though he knows that his life is going to be very different from what he wanted, he accepts God's will. Well, another test is this. Is he... Is he more selfish or sacrificial? Well, he, he passes this test too. The only the only way that God's plan proceeds in this situation, the only way that Jesus is born and the only way that Jesus lives is if Joseph sacrifices his own plans, lays down his own dreams, and he accepts the, the costs of raising this child that isn't actually his. Well, he's showing that he's he's far more sacrificial than selfish. Well Joseph is tested in another way is he going to follow God's will with contentment or with complaint So here just notice that Joseph he actually says nothing He has no lines in the story Have you noticed that Joseph isn't out there saying look at me and all of the ways that I've been wronged look at all the ways that I've been victimized by the world have pity on me and and give me what I want He doesn't do that at all Joseph is this like silent watchful submissive guardian. He is this protector. And after the visit with the angel, his whole life suddenly is like reoriented around the needs of his family. And it seems to me, Yosef kind of shatters some of the stereotypes that we might have about men. You know what I mean? Like we, see, we look at Yosef and we see submission, we see quietness and, and service and this domestic focus. These are some of the things that we might expect from a biblical woman, but not a man. And it's interesting. Joseph does what needs to be done, even if it means looking like a less sort of manly man. That's his test. And he's passed. He's passed beautifully. In fact, the next time that we see Joseph, the baby has been born in Bethlehem, and his house is full of shepherds and magi. We'll talk about that next week. Then uh, an angel warns Joseph that they're in danger from Herod. And so he's going to walk his family about 700 kilometers over to Egypt. And when it's safe, the angel comes a third time and tells him to go back to Israel. And he does. And Joseph is never mentioned again in scripture, actually. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but uh, according to tradition, at least like it's believed that he died when Jesus was a young man. And whether that's true or not, certainly seems consistent with what we've seen. Joseph serves his purpose. He accepts God's will for his life. And he does it and he steps aside so that someone else can have the glory. And doesn't that take strength? That takes a lot of strength. A lot of folks in our culture might consider Joseph like a wimp or a sucker or a loser. They might even call him a victim. And it seems to me Joseph. He shows us what strength really is. He shows us what strength really is. It takes a lot more strength to accept God's will than to complain that God's will isn't fair and, and fight to have your own way. It takes a lot more strength to surrender and to say, I don't need to be the hero. I'm content to be the hero's dad. That takes way more strength. See, Joseph can live in a world where folks think that he looks weak and emasculated, He can live in that world. He cannot live in a world where the Messiah doesn't come and he's the reason. He cannot live in a world where Miriam is stoned to death for a crime that she didn't commit and he could have saved her and he didn't. He can't live in that world. That's the kind of man God entrusted with the care of Yeshua. One of perhaps the the strongest figures that we meet in all of scripture. Someone that I think we can learn a lot from. 'Cause see there there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. Okay? And that is not what real manhood, that's not what real strength looks like. Let's let Yosef teach us what real strength looks like. It doesn't it doesn't win every time. It doesn't intimidate or boast or bully other people because it actually takes more strength to submit and to serve than to insist on getting its own way. That's what real strength looks like. Real strength doesn't whine and complain about God's will because it actually takes more strength to work hard and to do the right thing, even if no one notices. That's what real strength looks like. And that's the strength that we see in Yosef. He uses his strength for others. He gives his power away. So, as we close, let me ask us these uh, take-it-home questions. The first one is this. What is an example of a dream or a vision that you had for your life that you've had to let go of? Number two, how do the men that you admire compare to Joseph? Number three, how do you respond when life tests you? And the last question is this, who is someone in your life who has used their strength to serve and to protect you and maybe deserves a word of thanks? That's pretty good, Okay. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.